We are going to read an Old Testament scripture passage this evening. It's Psalm 149. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 982. Psalm 149. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word. Uh, May we see in your word how great a blessing and a wonder it is that in Jesus Christ you have made an assembly of saints, a congregation of believers, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed and cleansed the bride of Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that we would see that tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 149 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints. Praise the Lord. And turning to our New Testament scripture passage, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Pew Bible page 1,527. I'm going to be talking about this passage a number of times as we move forward in the Belgian Confession and talk about marks of the true church, discipline, these things. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, Jesus here teaches, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done. For you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. As far uh, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also looking at Article 28 in the Belgic Confession. We found on the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 83. Titled, Everyone is Bound to Join Himself to the True Church. May we read, our confession says, We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, since this holy congregation is an assembly of those who are saved, and outside of it there is no salvation, that no person of whatsoever state or condition he may be, 
ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself. But that all men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves with it, maintaining the unity of the church, submitting themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and as mutual members of the same body, serving to the edification of the brethren according to the talents God has given them. And that this may be the more effectually observed, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate themselves from all those who do not belong to the church and to join themselves to this congregation, wheresoever God has established it, even though the magistrates and edicts of princes were against it, yea, though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment. Therefore, all those who separate themselves from the same or do not join themselves to it act contrary to the ordinance of God. It's the teaching of our confession. A member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly stopped going. And so after a few weeks, a pastor decided to make a visit. It was a chilly evening. The pastor found the man at home, alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big chair near the fireplace, and waited. The pastor made himself comfortable, but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs. After some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember, and placed it to one side of the hearth all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. As the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday. And this is a story that's often been told about the importance of church attendance. But our confession goes even deeper than that. It tells us that we are duty-bound to join and unite ourselves with the church. And what we've often called that in more recent days is the idea of membership, church membership. So, our theme tonight I'm going to say every Christian is obligated to join themselves to the visible church. And now remember last week we talked about the distinction between invisible church and visible church. When we talked about the Catholic church in Article 27... What the Belgian Confession is talking about there is an invisible reality 
that in Jesus Christ, we are all united. In Jesus Christ, everyone who has true faith in Jesus Christ is united into this global, worldwide, Catholic, small c, universal church, okay? But the visible expression of that invisible reality is what we call the visible church. And so in Article 28, when it begins to get into the nitty and gritty about what is the true church, what are people duty-bound to do in accordance with the true church, what are the marks of the true church, it begins to talk more about the visible realities, um, the visible realities of a congregation, its members, a building, its elders, its deacons, its officers, its pastors. You see what I'm saying there? Um, so that's what I mean when I say every Christian is obligated to join themselves to the visible church. Um, you can be part of the invisible church and not part of the visible church, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Does that make sense? It's not how... God intended it, and it's not meant to be the way you're placed, the way you are long-term. So, three, these are our points. Four, withdrawal. So our four points this morning are what, which, why, withdrawal. So, let's start with point number one. What? We believe since this holy congregation is an assembly of the saved. That's why I said every Christian is duty-bound, is obligated. Um... And outside of it, there is no salvation. We'll talk about that because that's a, quite a controversial statement. That no person of whatsoever state or condition he may be ought to withdraw from, from it and content to be himself. So when we say what here, we're talking about the visible church. We're talking about an established local congregation with elders and deacons. And we need to talk about what this means because there's a lot of questions about what happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to um, this word church. In the Old Testament, the reason why I read uh, Psalm chapter 1 for our opening um, call to worship is Psalm chapter 1 talks about The assembly of the righteous. The reason why I read Psalm 149 is because it says the assembly of the saints. So in the Old Testament, this um, concept of, of a, a people gathered together, this concept of uh, temple worship had a lot to do with the ethnic reality of the people of Israel. And so there wasn't uh, much difference between what it meant to be the called out congregation of believers and to be Israelites. There wasn't much difference between um, what it meant to be the assembly of the saints, the assembly of uh, the righteous, than it was to be part of the people group of Israel. 
Although we could say that even in the midst of the people group of Israel, there was what we call a remnant, a number of faithful ones. This term in the Greek Septuagint um, was translated to, and I'm probably going to spell this wrong, synagogue? No. You know what I'm saying, though. <laughs> synagogue. Synagogue? That's, that looks so weird when you write it on a board. Sin means together, and Gog means assembly. So that's why, that, that, that's why we get the word synagogue. Um, it is uh, an assembly, a coming together of an assembly. And this is what, um, this is what Jesus takes and, and, and brings into what our normal terminology is, church. But in the New Testament, it's actually the word... Ecclesia. Ecclesia. What I'm trying to say is the concept of a body of believers who have over them uh, a, uh, a leaders is not something that is new to the New Testament. It's not something that is created by Jesus' new religion. It's something that God has ordained throughout the scriptures. And the form that we have now came through a process of growing into this, developed through the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the Old Testament assembly of God's people called Israel and the priests and the kings who were over it to what we have now in the assembly of God's people in the New Testament with the priests and King Jesus over it and with elders and deacons and pastors who are under shepherds. And so this is... Um, what we mean when we're talking about membership. We're talking about membership to this church. All right. Point number two. Which? Here in this... Um, article, it says, this holy congregation is an assembly of those who saved. Outside of it, there is no salvation. I said I would mention something about that. The way we're supposed to understand that is ordinarily, there is no salvation outside of God's church, established church. Um, but that all men are duty-bound to join and unite themselves with it, maintaining the unity of the church submitting themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, and as mutual members of the same body. All right, I'm looking for the word true church in this because I thought it was here. Well, anyway, it's going to get into it in Article 29. When Guido Debris writes here, true church, he's beginning to distinguish himself from the Catholic church, Roman Catholic church. And beginning to say that what we're calling people to join themselves to is not the Catholic Church, but the church who, who the, the true church, which is um, faithful, biblical, 
And this is important because uh, at the end of Article 28, he says, this may be more effectively observed. Okay, and then even though the magistrates and edicts of princes were against it, yea, though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment, people should join to this church. And so in essence, he's saying um, the Catholic Church is no longer a, a true expression of the visible church. Um, and we, we, I should say this, when the Catholic Church wrote together, got together and wrote, uh, wrote at the Council of Trent, they said anybody who believes in justification by faith alone is anathema. Let him be accursed. At that point, they were no longer part of the visible church. And so he's, he's pleading with people to separate, him, separate themselves from the Catholic Church and to join the, the true church. And, uh, you know, he's talking about the Reformed Church or a church that teaches what the Reformed Church is teaching. And he really is offering his back to the whips and uh, going against the, uh, the magistrates and edicts of princes um, to do this. This is the church that he's talking about. The true church. Now, in our day and age, we don't we might not necessarily have a, a conflict of, well, are we going to choose a Catholic church or a Reformed church? There's a variety of different expressions. But the idea is the church that you are obligated to join yourselves to is a church that is faithful to the revelation of God's word. is a church that is faithful, uh, not, not perfect, of course, um, but faithful to the gospel and to um, what, the, what God has called the church to be in, in the scriptures. Now let's get to why. Because I think this is really the point when we're going to start talking about a lot of the issues that we have going on in our day and age when it comes to uh, church membership. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. At one point um, in my uh, development as a young Christian, I did not like the idea of church membership. Um, I thought things like, what are we? A country club? I got to be a member somewhere? I got to be, uh, you know, join this cool kids club called the church. And uh, my attitude was very reflective of our culture and our society when it comes to um, church membership. Um, why is it that big of a deal if I'm a member or I'm not a member? I'm always, a, uh, you know, I come every Sunday. Or even... Somebody could have that attitude. Somebody could have, well, I'm spiritual. But I'm not religious. You ever heard that? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Um, you know, I worship God on a fishing boat. Sounds good, Rick, right? <laughs> Not on the Lord's Day, okay. <laughs> um, 
spiritual but not religious. Church membership, that's so silly. That's archaic. That's, that, this is, like a, is this a country club? It's not. But what you need to understand about what God's word talks about when it comes to the church is very serious. When I began to read scriptures that talked about elders and what they are responsible for, elders, you have a flock. You watch over God's saints. Elders, you will give an account for those whom God placed you over, spiritual authority over to serve them and to love them and to pray for them. How can you give an account if you don't know who it is? If you don't know who's there, you go and you read in the New Testament what I like to call the one another's. All throughout Paul's epistles and Peter's and the other parts of the New Testament, there's this statement, such and such to one another, to one another, to one another. What is Paul talking about? If he's not talking about the responsibility that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for one another, to love one another, to care for one another's needs over our own, to be humble, to join in fellowship. If it's not about the church and those that we have covenanted together to be the visible expression of an invisible reality. And how can you one another if you don't know who is one another? Jesus anchors church discipline in the reality of a church. He says this whole statement about if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. But if he doesn't listen to you, go and take one or two others. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And everybody likes to, to talk about uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, because it sounds spiritual and not religious. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. I mean, I've had that verse used to legitimize the fact that two families got together in their house and decided to have a church service. It says in the Bible where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is with them. And they don't realize it's in the context of church discipline. Jesus is talking about where two or three are gathered together in my name to enact church discipline for the good of this brother or this sister who's fallen away from the Lord. There I am with them. If they're in alignment with what I have called them to do, I'm in support of them. I'm backing them. Whatever you bound on, on, on earth will be bound. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose. That's what Jesus is talking about. Why? Why do we take the time to emphasize the importance of church membership? 
Why does Article 28 of our Belgic Confession say that everyone is duty-bound, obligated to join themselves to the visible church? Because it is within this expression of the invisible church, this visible reality, that we are called to maintain the unity of the church, submit ourselves to the doctrine and discipline of the church, to bow our necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ. And people might read that, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ. Man, that sounds kind of... Well, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. And for someone who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, putting themselves, submitting themselves under the authority of the church's elders, it's not an issue. It brings great comfort, actually, to know that there are people that God has placed over you spiritually to be there for you and to serve you. But to ask you questions like, how are you doing with the Lord? How are you walking with the Lord? And to pray for you, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and as mutual members of the same body, serving to the edification of the brethren, according to the talents that God has given them. So, what do we have here? Doctrine. Discipline, serving, mutual edification, bowing their necks into the yoke of Jesus Christ. This is what, why we're called to join ourselves to the visible church. It's where we express the one another's. It's where we yield to Jesus Christ's lordship. And I know I've said this so many times, um, but I'm going to say it again. When you understand that the church is the bride of Christ, and you have somebody who says things like, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm a Christian, but I, I don't want any part of that whole organized religion thing. And you got to understand that a lot of times it's because somebody's been burned by the way that the church has mishandled something or done something wrong. And that should be something that we sympathize with and we understand because we know we're not perfect. We're not sinners. Or we are sinners. Yes, we are sinners. Boy. We're not perfect. We are sinners. And the church has not done everything perfectly. But somebody who says that doesn't realize that what they're saying is, I like Jesus. I just don't want to have anything to do with his wife. And can you imagine if somebody came up to you and said, hey, Rick, I want to be your friend. I'm picking on you, Rick. I know. It's a... Rick, I want to be your friend, but Barb, no. Dave, can we be friends? But, you know... Gail, I have to see her enough at the church at the office during the day. I don't want anything, you know. <laughs> you can't imagine that that would be something that happens, right? Because 
Jesus himself, or, or Paul himself said in the word that the mystery of marriage is that it actually points to the union between Christ and the church. And the two shall become one. And when Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, he does not say, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting my believers? No, he says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? This is the church of Jesus Christ. He died to make her cleansed and to adorn her in white. And we've got people who are too prideful and arrogant to let their name stand on a church membership board so that they can be prayed for. They can be cared for. They can be loved. They can be encouraged and supported. They can be not like that lone ember that dissipated and the fire went out. So often in our day and age, if somebody doesn't like what happened or went wrong at their church, they just go down the road to another church. But we're supposed to be a family. Brothers and sisters. And something that I would want to say to everyone is that, okay, maybe blood is thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. At least that's the way it should be. And we all share in one spirit. One of the things that I have learned a lot in my marriage is not that um, it's not so much uh, that my wife is a sinner. Obviously, she is. I am too. But what do I do? What does my sin do in response to her sin? You see what I'm saying? When she's having a hard day, how do I respond? And there's real growth that happens in a person by the grace of God. When you say, I know that person might not be doing the right thing, but I'm going to do the right thing. And you might be saying, where are you going with this, Carrie? Well, what I'm saying is when church membership is as cheap as when something does not go the way that I want it to or something difficult happens, I just go down the road to another church, you lose growth there. You miss the opportunity oftentimes to confront sin in yourself. And I wonder, I just wonder, what would our world be like 
people who belong to churches had the same kind of commitment to their church family that they had to their marriages or their own family. You might not get along with some people in your family, but you say, that's my family, and they're not going anywhere. What if we had that kind of attitude with our churches? Can you imagine the kind of growth that we would have if people would talk to each other and work through things? Can you imagine the kind of growth that we would have if in difficult situations like that, God's spirit worked on us and we said, you know what, I'm just not handling that right. And I'm sorry about that. I hope you can forgive me. Church membership means uniting yourself to the place that Christ, the body that Christ died for, knowing that there is not, there's not ordinarily salvation outside of it, knowing that you're to submit yourselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing your necks to the yoke of Jesus Christ and as mutual members of the same body, serving to the edification of the brethren according to the talents of God has given them, that means that if you're not part of a church, that church is missing out on something. That this may be more effectually observed, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate themselves from all those who do not belong to the church and to join themselves to this congregation wherever it may be established even though the magistrates and edicts of princes were against it yea though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment so let's end with this last point Withdraw. It's very simple. The very last point of Article 28 says, Therefore, all those who separate themselves from the same, separate from the church. No, is that an A? That's another one of those words that you spell out and it just does not feel right. Um... Or do not join themselves. Act contrary to the ordinance of God. Withdraw. Is that what we're supposed to do? Withdraw from the church. Separate ourselves from it. Do not join to it. This is what I'm going to say. Jesus died for the church. Is she perfect in this life? Absolutely not. Is she broken? That's for sure. Are there places out there called churches that abuse their members and mistreat them? Are all kinds of sinful things happening sometimes in places called churches? This is true. This is something that um, we have to be real about. But Jesus 
loves the church. Jesus died for the church. And the heart of a Christian should be to join themselves to the true church. To know that they belong in a congregation, in an assembly of believers. To know that they are a part, an eye, an ear, a finger, a toe. I don't know. But essential. A part of a church. That their presence is meaningful at a church. That they belong under the authority of elders, a pastor that pray for them, to watch over them spiritually, to protect them from false teaching. Jesus died for the church. We are called to join the church. Every Christian is obligated to join themselves to the visible church. We don't want to be like that lonely ember. We don't want to be an island, a lone wolf, a lone ranger. Those are things that are contrary to the Christian life. We are called to join the visible church of Christ. And to know that Christ has called us to do so. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to see and to know the importance of church membership. To know that this is something that is not futile or, or meaningless. This is not uh, uh, something that's archaic or traditional. Lord, this is something that your very own word calls us to. That according to the word of God, we're to separate, separate ourselves from all those who do not belong to the church and join ourselves to this congregation. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a weighty attitude and seriousness about the importance of church membership and our belonging to this church. We pray, Lord, that we would do all we can to maintain the unity of the church, to submit ourselves to the doctrine and discipline of the church, to bow our necks unto, through the yoke of Jesus Christ, to see him as the head of this body, um, to serve for the edification of our brothers and sisters according to the talents you've given us. And we pray, Lord, for all those who may believe um, that it's unnecessary for them to be a part of a church. Um, for all those who may have been hurt by the church and who've separated themselves and are not joining themselves to it, that they would see um, the goodness in the wisdom in joining the church of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, for good leaders of these churches, faithful leaders, and faithful members. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You stand and sing.